Welcome to Straight from the Author, a podcast that gives you a front row seat as leading authors discuss their books at a Warren Public Library. Thank you, Warren Civic Center Library, for welcoming Joyce and me to your place. And thank you, patrons, for attending our discussion on art and literature within the mantle. The past 20 years as I researched, studied, and developed my first novel, people asked, what's your book about? It's an allegory of forgiveness, I answered. Yes, as I reached the epic's conclusion, the icon of the king's mantle, which is at the end. Okay, I lost my place. The icon of the king's mantle, the red river, which is in the map, and the word tree, spoke of many interwoven themes. Fidelity, redemption, love, faith, resilience, home, language, and the languages within home, nature, and art. For the mantle speaks languages of several tribes. These languages lay hidden when the mantle and I were young. I hadn't yet met Gertie in The Dollmaker, or Silas Marner's Loom, or Hawthorne's Marble Fawn. I hadn't experienced significant loss and gain to comprehend the Mahari way in their people. Heglin, for instance, the Mahari priest and protagonist who opens the mantle crawling out of Elgaba, a meteor crater. And Steban, remember that name, the primary antagonist who attempts to kidnap Heglin's son and escape the Mahari who he believes are fools. I hadn't read enough, suffered enough, to perceive the organic spirit of art in literature that elevates the wounded soul to heights and visions of beauty and health. Other than sewing, gardening, cooking, and writing, I had not practiced the visual arts or performing arts. Yes, I can dance a pretty good hustle, but I don't think that's the kind of dance the Mahari did. Yes, I taught the therapeutic and creative benefits of writing Yet, I hadn't been enlightened to the remarkable marriage of the arts with literature. It is the loss of our firstborn daughter in 1966 that nudged my husband and me to pastel classes. There, we eased our pain in emptiness. We met Joyce, who delighted me with her display of pastels and meticulous artwork. Our master, August Gloss, guided my heart, my eye, and my hand to create what I thought was impossible. Paintings. Some hang in my home. Meanwhile, I walked in nature, art galleries, and historical museums, listening and looking in long visits with the Mahari by my side. I saw models of the King Mantle in paintings 
and artifacts within the galleries of the Detroit Institute of Arts, the Art Institute of Chicago, the Louvre, and the St. Petersburg Hermitage, and many more. King Joseph, Queen Hashti, and Prince Robin traveled with me everywhere. So, let's look at some examples of visual arts in the mantle. A medieval tapestry hangs in the DIA near Bruegel's The Wedding Dance. It's a huge tapestry and it hangs by Bruegel's The Wedding Dance, the famous painting. I passed by that tapestry many times as a volunteer of the museums for the museum's gallery service. Then, one day, as I stood before it, I saw it with my hari eyes, not my eyes. Yes, the tapestry above the mantle in the king's great hall is a map of their kingdom. Old Deliah, the Mahari apothecary, wove the map as a wedding present for the king and queen. The great hall also houses busts of King Joseph and Queen Hashti's children and the king's library filled with shelves of storyboards portraying the history of seven Mahari generations since Humani, the great ruin from the other side, an archetype of man's inhumanity to his kind. The painting of Queen Dora, King Joseph's mother, is a composite of several beautiful port portraits of women I stand before regularly in the DIA. And where did the vision of Queen Dora's exquisite embroidery emanate? My grandmother and mother. Imagine that. Self-sufficient Appalachian women, much like Queen Dora and Queen Hashti, used the needle and thread to speak forbidden words in their garments, decorative claws, and dish towels. On the eve of her wedding, Princess Pacha places in Prince Robin's hand a miniature embroidered cloth holding a needle. To stitch your thoughts together, Prince Robin. To mend your heart when it is torn and worn thin. To discover what beauty your hands can perform, said the princess. The Artez is the room where the women weave and sew not to be trespassed by men. The man's workbench is not to be trespassed by women. The Mahari know their places and are content within them. Male and female, every Mahari carves and carries an unaba. Their personal artillery and identity expressed in their quiver and arrows. A Mahari is never without their unaba and hunter's knife, as, we're, as we are never without our cell phones. In Stebbins' madness, all he has left at the end of the story is his unaba. Yet every Mahari knows that is the ultimate weapon and tool for sustenance. Father King Sheena is a master button maker. He carves garnet stones into roses for Princess Pacha's bridal gown. She saves one button for Prince Robin's needle latch. And what of the performing arts in the mantle? 
The first chapter introduces musicians climbing the steps of the king's platform to play the courting reel. The Mahari understand the value of music and dance in celebrating life and perpetuating their tribe. The melodic pulse of drums awaken the Mahari at sunrise and call them to their mentas at sundown. And when death strikes the Mahari, it's the children who gather around the grieving menta and sing the morning song until the family removes the morning wreath from their door. I followed King Joseph and his horse Basha through the Mahari gate and prairie into the forest to the word tree where the king danced atop Basha's back around the tree. There I realized the king, the Mahari, never speak the word time. The Mahari and all known survivors of Humani have no knowledge of the clock. King Joseph, seventh generation since Humani, the invasion of disease and death from the other side of the mountain, listens to the stars and hears the maker's message that comes in a song in an unknown language. He trusts the maker for the interpretation to guide and multiply his people. Folks, do I romanticize the writer's task? Isn't writing a mere manipulation of literary devices to lure the reader to turn the page? To make them come out and buy your books? I believe not. For Madeline Lingle, author of A Wrinkle in Time and Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art declares, we are to be in this world as healers, as listeners, and as servants. In art, we are once again able to do all the things we have forgotten. I forget things, do you folks? Art reminds me. We speak to the angels who call us. We move unfettered among the stars. We write, we make music, we draw pictures because we are listening for meaning, feeling for healing. And during the writing of the story or painting, we are returned to that open creativity which was ours when we were children. No one told you you couldn't do anything when you were a kid. You just did it. We cannot be mature artists if we have lost that ability to believe which we had as children. An artist at work is in a condition of complete and total faith. It was by faith and frugality I traveled to Ireland traversed a sea cave in search of verisimilitude, I dare you to say that word, to test the believability of the Mahari's legend of the weeping wind. There I heard Prince Robin's voice say, Iris, the story ends here. It was by faith I sat in my writing chair and did just that, in Ireland and home in my study an Irish, Scott, German, Appalachian, word by word, I trusted my inheritance to foster the way of the storyteller within me. The patient process proclaims, life 
is a miracle. Repeat that with me, folks. Life is a miracle. Throughout our literature, Wendell Berry says in his essay titled, The Work of Local Culture, the normal thing was for the generations to succeed one another in place. The memorable stories occurred when this succession failed or was somehow threatened. The norm is given in Psalm 128, in which this succession is seen as one of rewards of righteousness. Thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. This longing seems to have been universal, Barry continues. It presides also over the Odyssey, in which Odysseus's desire to return home is certainly regarded as normal. Don't you wish your children would think that a little bit? Being home is normal. The Bible makes much of what it sees as normal succession in such stories as those of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or of David and Solomon, in which the son completes the work and the destiny of the father. The parable of the prodigal son is prepared for by such Old Testament stories as that of Jacob, who errs, wanders, returns, is forgiven, and takes his place in the family, family lineage. The Mahari understand we are all sojourners who walk this earth in search of purpose. They term this calling parquet. You want to say that with me? Parquet. My calling as a writer began with letters in, to my childhood Canadian pen pal and, poet, and poetry penciled to a Kentucky cousin. In 1967, as I told you, in Lincoln High School, Miss Margaret Lehneman quickened my pen with words of praise on my first essay, written in my senior English class. I wrote about my beloved coal mining uncles who appear in the mantle as King Joseph, Heglin, and Leonard. Yes, we're all storytellers. Whether we like it or not, we all tell stories every single day. Be it in dance, music, paintings, song, food. Isn't food a wonderful culinary way to live? in gardening. To be whole and live in peace, we must risk revealing what matters to us. What you see before you tonight matters to me. It matters to Joyce. It matters to people who have read the book. To be whole and live in peace, we must risk revealing what matters to us. We must listen to one another, seek understanding. So I thank you for listening to words from my heart, the greatest gift you can give. Within the mantle, Kish and Odalia portray most sacrificially a devotion to their parquet and the vitality of the Mahari tribe. They speak of tragedy and loss that touch the emptiness in every soul. Truly, none of us escape suffering. Queen Hashti, King Joseph's wife, values the memory and stories necessary to strengthen her children to fulfill their purpose, and does so through her embroidery and songs. In longing and sorrow, she touches the, her mother's orler, which is in one of the paintings, the Queen Hashti painting. 
the pendant and only possession from her matriarchs. In submission to King Joseph, she too left her family to propagate the Mahari way, to bring forth a prince, heir to the king's mantle. But Stephen threatens that succession. Will he succeed? What are the unknown words the stars spoke to King Joseph? What is this prophecy? Indeed, a many-layered love story waits to answer your questions. To aid your illumination of character and place, my friend Joyce and fellow artist said yes when I asked if she would illustrate my epic. I was on I-75 when she said she would consider it, and I thought I was just going to jump right out of that car. Now, as a reader and painter of the mantle's art, she will share some perspectives of the tale. Listening to Iris talk about her book, it strikes me anew, and I've known her now for some time, the life she's lived, the living and the experiences and the joy and the loss, pouring herself into writing this story over a period of about 20 years, that just strikes me anew as, as something that's phenomenal. And to have the privilege to come alongside to provide visual images of what takes place in this story strikes me anew as, as uh, that's been an incredible privilege for me. I'm Joyce Harlukowitz, and yes, I'm responsible for the paintings that you see here, and uh, there are four other paintings that do appear in the book. A total of eight paintings, eight pieces of art, were used by Iris to, uh, to augment her book. Iris loves the DIA. I think you may have been able to appreciate that. She loves art, but everyone loves art. I've not been anywhere aware of someone who would say, oh, I could live without art. I, art is not worth the time. Everyone loves art. The love of art is as old as man himself, rising from the natural beauty around him. The beauty of stories told out loud to an audience. The beauty of stories told in secret, lonely places, scribed on paper and collected in books. The beauty of wordless stories, drawn and shaped, light and dark, many-hued and recorded on canvases to be enjoyed. From an early age, the Mahari children, on seventh night, gathered in the Kantaja's Menta for storytelling and to practice and add to their storyboards. Wise and civilized and cultured folk, those Mahari, in the mantle. What I hope to do is bring you a little bit of enlightenment about the creation of art for the sake of adornment of beautiful writing, a beautiful book. Both the art of the written word and the pictorial art that supports beautiful stories in this process enlarge your understanding of art in relation of books and publishing. I'm a retired teacher and coach, having spent 35 years with the Imlay City Community Schools, so right up Van Dyke here, about 40 miles. Um, for 16 of them, I was a 7th and 8th grade English language arts teacher. The love of good literature comes naturally, 
More than 25 years ago, in an old historic building in Romeo, I began taking art lessons under the instruction of August Gloss, whom Iris has mentioned. We learned to paint using pastels. So these paintings you see here are pastels, which is pure pigment in stick form. And the support or the painting background is actually sandpaper. So that, that's how those are done. And it's, there's a history to pastels. Monet painted in pastels, Degas painted in pastels. So this is a, a long time traditional form of art. Little did I know that I would put to use this instruction and this technique in art years later by creating illustrations. This, was my, this is my first effort to uh, create illustrations. And it is a little bit different focus from this kind of everyday enjoyment type of art that I do. And I believe it's a great grace granted to me to be able to combine two such passions, books and art. What does it take to write a book? What does it take to illustrate a book? Hard work and relentless dedication, a powerful desire to tell a story, an unshakable belief in the power of that story and its message. I met Iris 15 years ago, as she mentioned, in one of August's pastel classes, a Friday night class. After the end of those classes and a gap of many years, Iris and I became reacquainted through an organization in which we are both members, and that's Detroit Working Writers. In October 2017, Iris contacted me to have a conversation about producing artwork for the book, an idea I was willing to explore with some trepidation. It's one thing to create art for one's own focus and to please oneself, and quite another to bear the responsibility for artwork representing another's cherished story. So I agreed to begin by reading the book. <laughs> now, this was unusual, not the reading, but the genre. My reading interests, even as an English teacher, are distinctly nonfiction, biography, autobiography, creative nonfiction, maybe a little historical fiction. Iris delivered to me a carton holding the manuscript containing what I came to know as a Bildungsroman, an epic tale, a coming of age story, and a love story of almost 600 pages. And in this case, something happened to me. The power of literary fiction well told overwhelmed me. I fell deeply into the story in love with the characters. The story takes place in a time long, long ago in an environment where people lived by the sweat of the brow and the work of the hands. It is set in a lush, recovering earth after the destruction and desolation from invasion and the ensuing pestilence and disease. Destruction so thorough that the only remaining remnant and evidence of the peoples prior to Humani, this great ruin, is carved in a script upon an iconic survivor, the word tree. To prevent a recurrence of the pestilence and sorrow of Humani, a spiritual darkness falls. No books, journals, or scribings are allowed in the kingdom. Instead, through seven generations, the Mahari way of life is preserved and celebrated by storyboards, embroidery, tapestries, and royal ceremonies and rituals. And in pilgrimages to the word tree conducted by the king, accompanied by the prince who shall succeed him, 
There, the tribal foundations of grace, faithfulness, forgiveness, peace, and hope are summarized in the golden swirls of the carvings on the word tree and portrayed by this mantra. Learn the words, love the words, live the words. But now, in this eighth generation after Humani, the Mahari throne is in danger. Four princesses delight the hearts of King Joseph and Queen Hashti, but they and the people ache for a prince to assume the mantle of the Mahari throne. Intruding upon the elegant, faithful, loving lives of these people is dissent, deception, anger, and betrayal from a vengeful grafted, that is adopted, member of the royal family, a brother who seeks to wrest the throne from Joseph. But at just the right time, a prince is born, and we are taken on an exhilarating journey. The sheer beauty of the loving father-son bond and relationship, the growth of Prince Rahabam to manhood and preparation for the mantle, and the surprising and remarkable gallop to the conclusion, the prince's bold foray into the other side, the long-feared place as the origin of the desolation and destruction. Instead, there too survivors reveal familial ties, a great love for the same precepts by which the Mahari live, and a precious preservation and veneration for the words of life. The word tree sustained the Mahari tribe for seven generations, promising that forgiveness is worth the price. Faithfulness leads to joy. And ultimately, love triumphs over hate. Though it is a story set long ago, it delivers a message of hope, grace, integrity, and redemption, I think desperately needed today. So we have a beautiful story. What would complete its telling? Well, literature is, of course, an art form. A writer uses words the same way a painter uses paint, or a sculptor uses chisel and stone, or even as a musician uses musical instruments. As a writer communicates to an audience through the written word, so does an artist communicate visually to an audience. Artistic illustration, a little bit of history here. Artistic illustration stretches back to the first century, but is regarded as becoming more common from about the 12th century, when manuscript text was illuminated, that is decorated, with things such as initials, borders, and miniature figures. Modern book illustration is traced to the 15th century block books, where text was carved into the same blocks as images that would be printed to, to represent the story. So today's graphic novels, nothing new. <laughs> From there, the next great advance in illustration occurred in Western, excuse me, Western literature. Fiction with represent, representational images in the 18th and 19th centuries. And remarkably, it was Charles Dickens who became a force in this sphere. Dickens gave his illustrator the outline of the plot before he wrote the text, and then monitored closely the drawings to make sure they matched his ideas. The illustrator's visual representation of a character became as important as the written description. 
Now, illustration historians say that the evolution of art in the late 19th and early 20th centuries toward abstract art caused illustration to drift away from traditional book publishing. Therein, illustration became attached to children's book publishing. And it quietly subsisted on children's literature for some time. Then came the advent of those graphic novels. Originally, they were called pulp comics. And graphic novels, a term coined around 1978, circled back to the old block prints with text and made the leap to both literary and visual art. There's a turning toward art as graphics, enhancing the written word of literary art. Part of the resurgence of interest in illustration is a backlash from the advent of ebooks and digital publishing. This is quite like the audiophiles or the purists returning to vinyl records and turntables. There are today what are called bibliophiles. A book is a physical object of beauty, and when you touch one of these books and hold it in your hands, I think that there's an electricity that runs through that represents that. Illustration in literary text and inventive collaboration between artists and writers is happening today. The result, beautifully produced books that are in your hands, tactile objects of beauty. Images and text coming together as a unique and inseparable entity. Modern illustration married to literary text. There's serious intellectual investigation on illustration in relation to text. For example, there's an organization called the Imaginative Book Illustration Society. I'm not lying here. <laughs> and it's dedicated to investigating the connection between the art and the writing of literature. Researchers have conducted multimodal theories to explain the semantic relationships between words and images and texts. The goal of illustration at its highest level is to create a phenomenon in which two graphical signs, pictures and text, of different modalities serve to illuminate each other and work together with each other, one not overshadowing the other. I thought that was kind of interesting research. Creating art to ad adorn a literary artist's vision is challenging and it's humbling. This was hard to do. <laughs> but there's something intriguing about the challenge to come alongside with visual concepts to interpret and honor a great story. For the last few months, Iris and I have been doing book talks at several locations in the North Metro area, libraries, nature centers, the Older Persons Commission in Rochester. There are a few common questions that we get, which I'll present to you now. Why did Iris choose you? Well, I think it was because she was familiar, as she mentioned, with the process of creating pastel paintings. She wanted realistic appearing artwork rather than abstract or highly stylized images. And she wanted something, this was clear, this was very important to her, she wanted something hand done. Did the author choose scenes or otherwise dictate the art? Other than specifying a map, I was left to determine images and paintings to paint. I was given probably an uncommon amount of control and a gracious and uncommon amount of acceptance. And for that, I am very grateful. 
So was it easy to get ideas for the illustrations? I have to admit, not at first. The story is complex in a very good sense. It took time to decide what meaningful elements to represent with the art. It took time to get to know the author and what she valued design-wise as well. What were the biggest challenges? It was for me a constant worry about picking concepts from the story to represent and then visualizing the art. And there were, as we went along, there were, it was almost as if there was too much stimulation from the text. Potential scenes and settings. Here are a few other tempting possible scenes. Pacha at the wood range in the king's menta, or his house, preparing to bake ponta bread for the upcoming hunt, admonishing her cherished younger brother, Prince Rahabam. Or Prince Rahabam as a child, learning the royal responsibilities at the word tree with his father, King Joseph, praising the maker with a flute, a dance of thanksgiving with Basha the horse. Or King Joseph on another pilgrimage to the word tree, trapped by a tracker stalking him. So he scrambles up the word tree, hanging upside down without a stitch of goods on. The word tree in recognition, granting him a sacred moment, the sacred words carved on this tree, golden swirls on the trunk. Or Pacha in her wedding procession to meet her betrothed King Rame. And this last would make a most enduring painting, and it is from the text, so I read you a portion here of the book. This is the beauty of the loving, tender father-son family relationship as King Joseph joyfully teaches his beloved only son, Prince Rahabam, heir to his throne, the way of life leading to his assumption of the mantle. Son, I was once a boy and know your temptation. I also know soon enough the second burden of the king's mantle will be laid upon you. Do not fear whispers and do not covet what you are too young to understand. Pada, did you do bad deeds? Every child does. Prince Rabam shook his head. Not you, Pada, not Jomanti. Yes, me. Yes, Jomanti. I have never heard you speak against anyone, Pada. Not even Uncle Stebbin, although all the children know he sneers at you. The children do not like un Uncle Stebbin either. We do not like Danelle. They hate us. The king concealed surprise at his son's easy boldness to breach code and to speak of Stepan's fault. He was relieved. And I have seen you slump in sadness when his name is spoken. The prince rubbed his chest. The seed of hate grows in my heart, Pada. I hate him for hurting you. I am glad you tell me, Rabam. My brother has given you reason to hate. The prince wiped tears from his face. Pada, why do you love him when he is so hateful? King Joseph held his son. Because my mother and father loved him, he is my grafted brother and, I was, and was once my best friend, like Jomanti is your best friend. Of a truth, 
of a truth. That is one reason to love him. For every reason to hate, there is a higher reason to love. Pada, cried the prince into his father's chest, what is my higher reason to love um Uncle Steben? To keep your star burning, seer of truth. Look up. The king pointed to the tree. The words tell us forgiveness brings light and peace. Forgive Steben for hurting me, and your star will burn brighter. How do I forgive him when I can see he is glad hurting you? The king said, with your will. Finally, what did I learn from this process? It took us about a year. No, not a year. It took us six months to work through these paintings and this scheme. Would I do it again? Well, I surely must admit I benefited as an artist through this experience. I've always enjoyed challenges, and this one opened to me the world of publishing books and all the moving parts involved in that. I discovered that I really liked the aspect of interior design of a book. If I had to had the time again, that would have made a wonderful career in itself. As a painter, who doesn't grow and improve as a result of a demanding challenge? Would I do it again? Well, I have to admit, I probably would. <laughs> Thank you. Straight from the Author has been brought to you by MyWarn. To hear more podcasts like this, visit MyWarn.org. Again, that's MIWarn.org.